the podcast where two friends dive into the world of romance literature in order to find each other's and your next great lay I mean read <laughs> we'll explore it all classic bodice ripping historical romance provocative political thrillers sexy sci-fi and everything in between every week we'll each cover one story no spoilers we'll share our favorite moments which of your favorite tropes to expect and rate its readability how hot it is and how romantic it is We'll let you know if a book passes the vibe check, share any content warnings to watch out for, and most importantly, is it even good? I'm Lauren. And I'm Kendra. Now let the erotic nonsense begin. Well, hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I had a day where, like, I was late to everything, oh. which is not... I'm not. Did you get a haircut? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I was like, wait. (laughs) I did get a haircut. I actually, like, uh, got, like, the Rachel haircut. I was like, oh, "Oh, my God. Yes. Yes." (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I texted my mom that I was going to do it. And she was like, wow, you've really come full circle. (laughs) Which is funny because I got the, like, original Rachel haircut on accident in middle school. Oh. I mean, like. It was, you know, friends with everything when yeah. I was, like, 12. Yeah. But it was definitely, like, when Rachel had, like, long flat ironed hair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I want. So I went in and I said, like, I didn't oh. even know that, like, the Rachel was a thing. I was fucking You were, like, wanting her, was, like, like no new internet. version. Yeah. And, the, of course, the stylist was like, oh, oh I know, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. I, like, wanted to die. I hated it oh so much. God. And, of course, I was, like, 12. So I wasn't going to, like, be like, this isn't it while, you know, it was happening. Anyway, oh, and now I got it on purpose. That's exciting. Um, yeah, it's not quite styled the same, but it's all flippy and like yeah. have my unhealthy ends, so it feels really nice. That's the best feeling. Yeah. New, new haircut feeling. It is the best. Um, anyway, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry but, to interrupt your story. No, it's fine. Story. Um, but yeah, anyway, so now I feel like all off kilter, because normally I'm like very uh, on time slash early to everything and so I just it I, felt like a manic day. I, I feel like I know that feeling where it's like you just like feel like a terrible person all of a mm-hmm. sudden it just like throws you completely off you're like I'm not this person's no nope. me I'm just like I'm trash and I <laughs> yeah. can't get anything right anyway I've been um, there I've so been there yeah, yeah. Um, and I get that even when I'm like two minutes late to something and I was mm-hmm. 15 minutes late to an appointment today which is like unforgivable <laughs> Um, but anyway, but I, I am excited to unwind with some yes. podcasting now that I scrambled and Same. did my homework before we started. Oh, <clears throat> we've been, I have like, I've had another week of like really struggling to find time to read. Yeah. Just like real intense toddler stuff happening this week. Like, oh. We weaned from the pacifier and oh, it yeah. went fine. Um, but she's just been like way, she just hasn't been sleeping as well. So like naturally it's just yeah. like more tantrums and. She's also just, you know, that tantrum age. Like I, I mean, yeah, I even when they're well, well rested, yeah. they can be very right. you know, difficult. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so there's that. And then, uh, yeah, just work has been, like, a bunch of stuff where, like, normally I can, like, listen to a book and, like, do some data entry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, hasn't been a lot of that lately. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, spoiler, I listened to my book even, even though, though I found that, yeah, because <laughs> I knew I wouldn't have time to get through it. It's yeah. also a bit of a, like, because it's like a real like hardback. It's a book. It's not book, like yeah. a short little paperback from the airport. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so even though I had a hard copy, yeah, I also purchased the audio. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that's funny because I like started by reading a book this week, and then I'm going to talk about it briefly. But oh, I was like, I can't do this. Book. You gotta switch it up. So I read a whole nother book, but I mm. listened to it because I was yeah. like, I don't have time to like yeah. sit and read another one. So yeah, I listened to the whole thing yesterday so that I could do it for today. Anyway. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well. Should, okay. Should I do my drink? Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, this drink is called the Out of Touch. Oh boy. <laughs> and so I like made it in the style of the most old-fashioned drink I could think of that's not an old, old old-fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a gin fizz. Nice. <laughs> so it is two ounces of gin, three quarters ounce lemon juice, half ounce maple syrup, one egg white, mm-hmm. slash about two ounces of pasteurized egg whites from a carton (laughs) um and soda water um and you shake everything but the soda water vigorously um and then you put ice in it shake again and then uh strain and then pour soda water over the top and it creates a little foamy uh it's lovely i haven't tried it yet (laughs) no it's really good you should try it i despite being like super into cocktails have never used egg white to make cocktails yeah um and i think just because of that sort of like a little bit of queasiness that it yeah would give me um but it's funny this it's like almost has like a milkshakey creamy yeah it's not bad (laughs) it's really good anyway (laughs) i do love the excuses to like try new things for this <laughs> yes and like try to be inventive yeah, yeah it's really fun um all of the like things you said about why you made this <laughs> i know me white drink while you were making it has me very interested I was like, oh, i picked something that was old-fashioned and grossed me out a little bit and i called it the out of touch <laughs> okay um all right well i have a guess of where we're going with that but. yeah <laughs> all right well shall we take a quick break yes we'll let's get. do it <laughs> All right, we're back. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right, so this week I read The Right Time by Danielle Steele, and I'll jump right into the back of the book. Okay. Abandoned by her mother at age seven, Alexandra Winslow takes solace in the mysteries she reads with her devoted father, and soon she is writing them herself, slowly graduating to dark, complex crime stories that reflect skill, imagination, and talent far beyond her years. After her father's untimely death, 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 (laughs) At 14, Alex is taken in by the nuns of a local convent where she finds 26 mothers to take the place of the one she lost and the time and encouragement to pursue her gift. Alex writes in every spare moment, gripped by by the plots and themes and characters that fill her mind. Midway through college, she has finished a novel and manages to find a seasoned agent, then a publisher. But as she climbs the ladder of publishing success, she resolutely adheres to to her father's admonition. Men read crime thrillers by men only. And so Alexandra Winslow publishes under the pseudonym Alexander Green. 
her true identity known only to those closest to her, creating a double life that isolates her. Her secret life as the mysterious and brilliantly successful Alexander Green and her own life as a talented young woman expose her to the envious, the arrogant, and Hollywood players who have no idea who she really is. Always, the right time to open up seems just out of reach and would cost her dearly. Once her double life and fame are established, the price of the truth is always too high. Wow, that was long. It's, yeah, it's a lot. When was this written? Okay, so. Because I'm like, nuns, convent. Like, that takes me back, but it doesn't sound like it's back that far. So this is a very, uh, like, this gets us right into, like, the first sentence of my overall thoughts that I have here, because this book was very strange in that way. So, okay, it, it was published in 2017. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Can I see that cover again? Yes, it is very 90s. And I think that, I mean, it's because it's Danielle Steele. Right. Um, and, I mean, I'll go ahead and just jump here. Um, so she was born in 1947. So she is 75 years old. Okay. I mean, so, that, that's kind of what I thought. I like okay, knew she was yeah. older. But I thought that. I mean, I guess I didn't even know she was, like, still writing. Oh, she is absolutely still writing. She's coming out with, like, four to five books a year. Whoa. Yeah. I wonder if she actually writes them all. No, I... Okay. We'll get to it. She absolutely does. There's a lot of kind of autobiographical stuff in this book, it appears, especially... And, like, work ethic is one of those things. Like, this girl is in, like, college, and she's writing a book, and she, like, never sleeps, and it's... Yeah. Um, okay. All okay. Right. We'll get back. Sorry. Yeah, I know. No, it's fine. Um, all right. We'll go to cast quickly. Um, yeah. I have Selena Gomez as Alex. Okay. Um, so, like, the it's, like, annoying where she's, like, this, like, gorgeously beautiful girl, but she doesn't know it, and she's a little oh, quirky, God. and she's also super talented. And, uh, Pick me. Oh, and she's so unique because she likes crime thrillers. <laughs> like, literally the most popular thing. <laughs> Four women right now. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's so bad. Um, okay. So back to like the setting and like the year that this came out. Okay. It is, I, it's supposed to be contemporary. They like mention buying a laptop for college and stuff like okay. that. But there's just like no getting around the fact that this book is it's just, like, written in a time that doesn't exist anymore. Like, things happen that just... Like, this should have been set in, like, the 40s. Yeah. Like, like, there's, like... I feel like it's been edited to make it seem contemporary, but they, like, miss things. So, like, there's there's a time when she, like, calls and leaves a message for someone and leaves the, like, house number for the convent for them to, like, call her. So there's, like, no cell no phones. No cell phones. But she's yeah. buying a laptop. Yeah. It's, Weird. I mean, like, maybe it's set in, like, 2004. Like, I, like there was a time where... Yeah. yeah right, where you <laughs> where might you have like, a laptop, but... Not a cell phone. Well, I, I don't think so. I there, know. Like, it's when real, you would have, like, a, like, a you know, desktop computer, but no cell phone. Yeah. But not, like, a you'd laptop You'd at least at have, like, a little shitty flip phone at yeah. that point. Yeah. <laughs> like... Or, like, a pager. burner. Yeah. So... So, and then there's other things that just happen, and it's just like, this, like, this doesn't, the world doesn't work this way anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, she supposedly writes all of her books on this, like, vintage typewriter, which is something that Danielle Steele actually does. She writes on a vintage typewriter. But 
also in this, she goes for like, I, I can't remember if she's done with college or it's like a study abroad in like Paris and London. Okay. And she brings her fucking typewriter with her. Like, <laughs> like maybe in like the, the, 50s, you could like, oh, you know, like air travel was so fancy, and like, (laughs) yes, of course, we'll accommodate your typewriter, but like, how the fuck is a 20 year old kid gonna like, no, like, no, they also must weigh like 20 pounds, but I'm I'm just like, or it's gonna go in the cargo hold and and get destroyed, yeah, there's no way that a kid like raised on computers would use a vintage typewriter to type an entire novel, yeah, yeah, weird. I I wonder so many moments of like. Like, she's writing about, like, thinking about when she was this age. Yes. What was her life like? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. And she also mentions, like, writing letters to people. Oh, which, that's like, not... <laughs> but she also mentions emails. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, like, I feel like it would have just been better if it had just been set earlier. Like, if they hadn't yeah. tried to, like, make it contemporary. If it was just, like, just set it in the 40s. Everything would still make sense. Yeah. And, like... It would be at least then, it, you know, it kind of gets the pass of, like, being historic, you know, like. Yeah, right. Um, okay. A different time. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, and so this, like, the weirdness kind of, like, also bleeds into, like, Alex's personalities and, like, her worldview. And it's just her inner dialogue is just so infuriating. <sighs> like, the way she feels about, like, dating and sex, it's just, like all the like shame and all the like about like having sex yes yeah and how she doesn't understand like why her body is reacting to you know and it's like that's such a bummer i know and it's like yeah it's it's so disappointing (laughs) wow 2017 yeah um wild right okay and then so uh, we'll get to this in my favorite line, um, but uh, there's actually even like a scene where she gets kind of like groped at this like writing writers con like or not conference um, like a like a camp oh, like okay. a writers camp like a like retreat a, yeah retreat yeah. that's what I was thinking of um, yeah she gets like groped um, and she ends up like kneeing this dude in the balls and like running away and then like she just like she ends up just kind of like laughing it off with her like editor. And he's like, I told you, you wouldn't get anything out of going to that. And oh like, God. there's no mention of her, like, maybe like mentioning it to the camp, you know, yeah. to like get him like fired Removed? or yeah. Oh, it's like someone that. who works there. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So anyway. All right. So I wrote that first paragraph and then I had like two or three days to like digest. Marinate. Marinate. Uh-huh. And I have some like feelings about. Okay. <laughs> um, so. Again, Danielle Steele was born in 1947. She is 75 years old. Honestly, I I would have I could have pegged her at older uh-huh. hearing like how she was writing this book. Like, like she sounds like my grandparents. You know, yeah. like she sounds like I was reading a story about my grandmother. Like her her attitudes, like I see them in here. The like, main character. Yeah. And like yeah. her view and like her thoughts about how the world works. So, wow. I kind of, like, transitioned to, like, I still did not enjoy this book, and I don't really think anyone should read it, but I sort of feel like I read it so that you don't have to. (laughs) And my thoughts about it are, it's, I mean, there are, there are, 
progressive things in here if you put it in context of it is written by a 75 year old woman okay you see what i'm going yeah yeah, i understand i totally understand there is sex there is um unmarried um pregnancy um you know like non-traditional relationships there are lots of things but people feel shame about it there is shame (laughs) and so but i i feel like it's an example of like walking before running you know oh sure like 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 she's dipping her toes in like this is a style of romance that like our parents had and like great good for them we don't have to settle for this anymore yeah yeah but yeah it's it's a relic it's a relic, and you can study it for what it is. A relic from 2017. I know. Well, yeah, I, get, I know. I do get yeah, that did kind of like. She's a relic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That did kind of ruin it. Like I was shocked when I saw that. I was like, yeah. "What the? Fuck? I assumed it was from like the 90s." Yeah. Um. But anyway, okay. Moving on to that. This is an excellent, excellently written book. Like she is a fucking good writer. Like there's yeah. a reason she has sold so many fucking books. Like, yeah. I was riveted I like I hated it right but, like I, yeah like I listened to it all in like almost one day like I like stayed up late finishing Whoa, it okay. yeah so it's like a page turner yes. it's like a well-crafted story yes and the the things she does extremely well is character development so it's like very character driven and this mm-hmm. is actually like it it doesn't really fit the model of what I would expect a romance the sex scenes were very short very yeah. um nondescript, non-explicit, you know, um, and, uh, it was more of a, like, it, it followed Alex's entire life. Like, it, like, started with, like, how her parents met, and it, like, followed her throughout her entire life, which is definitely different from, um, other contemporary and I mean, romances. I feel like most contemporary yeah. romances take place over less than a year. Yeah. Or you might get, like, some flashbacks, it's but it's pretty condensed. I mean, right? First year. You don't want the boring <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway. All right. That's where I'm going to leave it. It's a okay. relic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ratings. So I have readability as four. Okay. Yeah. Hotness as one. Romance as one. Overall, two. I mean... I didn't want to give it a one, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, like, maybe if it's the only book at the beach house you're staying at, then you can I mean, if you pick it up, like, (laughs) yeah, like, you'll finish it. Like, that's You'll just hate it the whole way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right. So, content warnings, um, abandonment of a child, Alzheimer's, death of both parents, and then I wrote sexism and chauvinism. (laughs) It was, like, there was just, like, upsetting moments where, like, just, like, the way she let guys treat her, it just, like, it would so not fly. Now, like, she had, like, months-long relationships where, like, now I feel like that same, like, trope is described as, like, a 20-minute bad date in, like, a yes. modern romance. Yes. You, you know, like, it's get like, up and leave. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it takes her, like, months to, like, reach oh, the same conclusion. so sad. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Favorite line. <clears throat> so this is um, – I, I feel like I tried to pick something that it just kind of, like, gets into Alex's brain of, like, why this character is, like – very well written and developed, but like why this character is like kind of insufferable. Okay. Okay. So this is after she is going to the writer's retreat. Okay. 
But when we got there, the accommodations were incredibly uncomfortable. Raccoons wandered through the tents at night. The mosquitoes attacked them constantly and devoured them. And teachers and would-be writers alike spent most of their time having sex or drinking too much, or both. (laughs) The lectures were incredibly boring, and the well-known mystery writer never showed up and was replaced... (laughs) (laughs) My laptop wants to update. (laughs) Uh... And was replaced by a very good-looking writer in his late 30s who had written two pornographic crime books that no one had ever heard of, and it was later revealed that he (laughs) self-published. He spent most of his time trying to seduce the housewives from Connecticut, who had come to the camp to learn about more than just writing and swimming naked. Sorry. Who had come to the camp to learn more about just writing and swimming naked at night in the nearby lake after drinking too many mojitos. (laughs) I think I have a typo in there, but I'm not sure where. (laughs) Basically, she's just like... Judgy much? Right? Like, okay, swimming naked in the lake and having a bunch of mojitos at a writer's regime sounds sounds like a rocking good time. Yeah. (laughs) Also, if you need shit to write about, like, you gotta live your life, man. Like, also, like, pornographic crime novels, I'm like... Stop judging my reading yes, choices. Stop, <laughs> stop judging self-publishing. Yeah, you know right? it's yeah. yeah. So it is very like her character. It's the mindset. It's so it's it's almost like the '90s bitch thing. It's yes. like the like. It's definitely like holier than thou. Yeah, like, I'm that, special. Like, yeah, I'm so yeah, yeah. I'm not like other girls. Yeah. yeah. Well, gross. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So. My deep dive is Danielle Steele because okay. I like had to know more. Yeah. Um I can't get over this. The, the back cover? of this book. Oh, well, this, I mean, yes. yes, the cover, which definitely mm-hmm. says like late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um love her tweed blazer. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, no, it's the picture of Danielle Steele on the back in her like all mahogany study <laughs> with the life size oil portrait of herself behind her. <laughs> I mean, it's very on brand for no. her. <laughs> I mean, like, get your money, girl. Like, good job. Live your life. But, I mean, it really says a lot about her. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, I can't wait to well, hear more. Yeah. Um, all right. So, my sources are daniellesteel.com, Wikipedia, of course, and then two articles. Um, one is from Glamour, and one is from Curbed.com. Okay. Um, all right. So, okay, I just have to get this first line out here. She is the best-selling author alive. Wow. And the fourth best-selling fiction author of all time. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, according to DanielleSteele.com, which appeared to be the most updated, like, Wikipedia, it looked like it was only from, like, 2019. Okay. And there's been more. So, she has sold over 9 million copies. And she has written more than 200 books, which includes 172 novels and 18 children's books. That's She's unbelievably fucking insane. Yeah. Are you sure it's nine million? Mm-hmm. I feel like surely there's been like more copies of Harry Potter sold than that. Well, fourth best-selling fiction author. So if J.K. Rowling oh, is above yeah. her, yeah, yeah. Oh right, right. Got it. Yeah. Still, that is. Oh, except insane. for a best-selling author alive. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Right. No. no. Yeah. That's crazy. Um. Anyway. Two hundred. Mm-hmm. All right. So she was born in 1947. Her father was a German-Jewish immigrant and a descendant of the owners of Lowenbrau Beer Company. 
Okay. <laughs> her mother was the daughter of a Portuguese diplomat, and most of her young childhood was spent in France, um, and her parents were part of this sort of, like, glamorous, uh, rich crowd where they would, like, throw fancy dinner parties, and she would, like, attend in her little kids' dresses and, like... Ooh, like, be presented to all mm-hmm. their friends. Yep. Um... And so she, like, later talked about how this, like, wealthy, famous lifestyle, like, really piqued her interest. Um, But her parents divorced um, when she was eight. And after that, apparently, she, like, rarely saw her mother. So that is sort of, there's some autobiographical stuff in this book. And and it's about an author. So anyway. Um, And she was raised primarily by her father. Um, She started writing stories. So unusual for that time. I know. Although, it sounds like her family was very rich so when it says raised primarily by her father well no i'm sure she was, i assume yeah. that means like her governess. father pri- provided financially yes, for exactly someone else to raise her right <laughs> anyway. um she started writing stories as a child and she wrote poetry as a teen and she was raised catholic and considered becoming a nun oh dang um but wow she, she chose a different path yeah <laughs> um but, okay, so she ended up going to uh, the French High School of New York. So she spent her young childhood in France and then went to New York for, like, a it's like a boarding high school. Oh, okay. And then the Parsons School of Design and New York University. And she studied literature, uh, design, and fashion. Damn. Yeah. She had my dream life when mm-hmm. I was 18. <laughs> yeah, so this whole, like, this portrait of yeah. her is, like, yeah, it's very on brand. Yes, it's, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in 1965, she was 18. She got married for the first time. Her husband's name was Claude Eric Lazard, and she was still at NYU at this time, and she was writing her first manuscript, and that was finished when she was 19, and that same year, she had a daughter named Beatrix. That's all in 1966, so... At so NYU, <laughs> writing manuscript, got married, had a kid. <laughs> like, she fuck. like manic. That's insane. I mean, just that amount of. Well, I yeah. I mean, um, all right. So later, she started working for, and it sounds like she kind of helped found, although I couldn't um find that for sure. Um, a public relations agency in New York, which was called Supergirls. Okay, that is so, like a whole nother thing out of left field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I could actually do like an entire deep dive on this company. Um, <laughs> it sounds super interesting. Um, so I found an excerpt from a New York Times article from 1970, and I really want to read this in like a, like a 40s. Um, like, <laughs> like forties news anchor yeah, voice or exactly. whatever. Yeah, like Supergirls, founded some three years ago, has at its core Danielle Fernand Steele, Claudia Jessup, Jane Lowe, Jean in parentheses a girl, <laughs> Chips, Timmy, more parentheses another girl, Mason and Barbara Achenbach. The oldest is twenty eight, the youngest is twenty two, and the group is made up of three married women, two divorces, one single girl, and two mothers. They got their start because they all had in common the desire to not be secretaries, receptionists, or sales girls. So they do just about everything else within the law. Wow. <laughs> and then there's a quote. Um, We've done everything from planning a simple cocktail party to tracking down a 15th century broadsword. Broadsword. <laughs> what? <laughs> so Danielle Fernand, who I think is Danielle 
deal. Yeah, that's yeah. her. She's a hyphenated name. A chic young thing in youthful surroundings. <laughs> wow. First of all, the New York Times is like absolute, like, just like how they can't handle it. Like the, the fact that these women are all together, like doing things. A girl. Besides being secretary. <laughs> Another girl. Another girl. Divorcees. <laughs> Um, but also I like don't understand what the company does. <laughs> like, I mean it's public relations, right? So I feel like it's like a publicist like, like tracking down a broadsword. I know. <laughs> I yeah. Um but it kinda sounds like they're like very enterprising and yes. I don't know, like I kinda yeah. dig it. No, uh, totally. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> um yeah. So, all right, moving on. Um, so a client of that company was Ladies Home Journal. So I think they also kind of did, like, advertising. Okay. Because um, it sounds like – it said that she wrote, um, like, copy for, like, yeah. advertising. Okay. Yeah. So um, – uh, and shocker, Ladies Home Journal was edited by a man. Uh, John <laughs> John Mac Carter apparently, like, took her under his wing and, like, encouraged her to, like, write a book instead because freelance writing or whatever is, like, not as good. And he's like, no, you're too good at this. You should write novels. Um, so then her first novel was published in 1972. So, like, doing the math here, she was 18 and 65. So seven years later. So 25. Yeah. Her first novel. Which is, like, definitely young, but not the young. Like, no. Like, there's plenty yeah. of, especially romance authors that yeah. start younger. Yeah. 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 Um, that, and that one was called Going Home. And it Ooh. contained themes of family and romantic relationships. Okay. You know what I have not done research on? It's, hmm. like, when did the concept of, like, a romance novel come out? Because I feel like they, she is, like, never really explicitly called a romance writer in like most of this research yeah and i think it like kind of maybe predates it a little bit or do you like, what do you trying think? to think if i i don't think i've actually I sh- covered that in yeah, anything so far i, I mean there's that. definitely like i mean when you think back to like jane austen right and even like the bronte sisters but that wasn't romance it was no. like for women is the idea so i mean like it was sort of like the precursor fiction. of yeah women's yeah. fiction or like I just yeah I wonder like when it was yeah they started calling it like romance or yeah whatever. I don't know, I don't know. Um, and like when's the romance writers guild or whatever romance writers of America oh when that was founded um, I did look into but, that but I don't yeah because I definitely now. like in my brain I think of Danielle Steele yeah. as like a yeah a romance mm-hmm. author but I mean it sounds like this it's more like women's fiction it, yeah, yeah it was more like yeah I mean we Which talked I about hate. this last yeah week. like it's just it's just a fucking novel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> About a woman. It happens to have a woman as the lead. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Her first marriage ended in 1974, but she met her second husband uh, before the divorce was final. Um, and she met him while she was interviewing an inmate at a prison, and he was also incarcerated. So she met him at the jail because he was in the jail. Interesting, yeah. Um, and so when he was paroled, he moved in with her, but he returned to prison on robbery and rape charges. However, she still married him later in the prison canteen in 1975. Uh. This marriage ended in divorce in 1978, and her next two novels are, like, supposedly, like, very inspired by this relationship, and I have not read them, obviously, but, so they're, like, said to, like, launch her career, and I think there is a lot of, like, 
overcoming domestic violence is like the vibe yeah. I got. So that's interesting. Um, her third husband, <laughs> uh, she married when she was eight months pregnant with his child. Um, the third husband's The child. third husband's okay. child, yeah. Um, but that relationship ended, and she said that it was because she was, like, becoming famous, and, like, he couldn't. He didn't he like didn't. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, it's. She said it, like, was no longer compatible. So, you know, who knows, really? But it kind of sounds like, yeah. Yeah. Being a little bitch about it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was her third husband. Moving on to her fourth husband. All right. <laughs> um, the, and this is the guy that she was married to for the longest. But spoiler, not the last. Okay. <laughs> um, Get it, girl. And they went on to have five children. Okay. Whoa. They got married in 1981. They have kids born in 1982, 83, 84, 86, and 87. Ouch. That's... And during this time, <laughs> in 1989, the Guinness Book of World Records listed her for having the most consecutive weeks of any author on the New York Times bestseller list. 381 weeks, or 7.3 years. Holy shit. So while she was having a baby every fucking year, oh, she my God. <laughs> never didn't have a novel on the bestsellers She's fucking list. fucking clomping away on that vintage Fuck. typewriter. Right? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. And according to her, she wanted to spend more time with her kids, so she would write at night. So she would spend all day with her kids, taking care of more than five, because I didn't even write down the ones she had. I, I don't know how many. And there was stepkids in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, taking care of her kids all day and then, like, staying up all night and writing and then, like, barely sleeping at all and then just, like, doing it all fucking again. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she also contributed to a nonfiction book called Having a Baby in 1984, in which she talks about suffering through miscarriage. Jeez. Um, yeah. Um, and she also wrote a series, two series of illustrated books for kids, uh, Max and Martha series and the Freddy series. They're about like life situations, like going to the doctor and a new baby sibling. Yeah. yeah. So adorable. Um, she, her son from a previous marriage did die by suicide in 1997 at age 19 and he was a punk musician. Um, and he had, he had been suffering from like a history of psychiatric hospitalization and drug, drug abuse. Um, and she wrote a nonfiction book about his life. Um, and she also like started a foundation and did like fundraisers every year like big events um and she also she hosted a memorial show for him featuring like several local punk bands and i just find that like so sweet like you know like punk music is like she obviously is not well i'm sure a lot of parents then were not yeah. like, in support of their yeah so to interested like in punk. honor yeah. that yeah she yeah. Like, embraced it anyway um all right, moving on. Um, her that marriage ended in 1998, and she married. Uh, God, I lost track. Fifth husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was keeping track. <laughs> uh, and they divorced four years later in 2002. So she has a total of nine children. I don't know if that includes stepchildren. Um, wow, that doesn't really matter. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and so in 1981, so in the middle of fourth marriage um she became the owner of a 55 room house in san francisco called spreckles mansion this okay i looked up pictures like 
It is fucking gorgeous. It's also like I feel like it's like right downtown. Like it's a it is a landmark, like a mm-hmm. historic landmark, but also just like a known landmark. So sorry, it's in like, what city did you say? San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh, oh, once she moved in, it's, it's a 55 room mansion. I mean, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything that's but, 55 rooms. That's right. Like but it is, I feel like it is like downtown, like it's not like hidden away or it's anything. It's rural, like very visible. Yeah. yeah. So she planted this like huge hedge. And in one of these articles, the author referred to it as her bush, like jokingly and <laughs> fucking pregnant. Oh my God. <laughs> Like innuendo, so funny. Wow. Um, but apparently she never really liked living in San Francisco. So she now spends most of her time in Paris. Um, and she did this like interview like right after the pandemic ended, and she's like, Oh, it's so nice to be able to like go out in society. I mean, obviously sorry. the pandemic <laughs> after the pandemic sorry, ended. After we thought the pandemic ended, <laughs> yeah. you remember that? <laughs> For like one week yeah. in June of twenty twenty one. Right. So she had been like quarantining in her like uh a giant her, mansion no in her like paris probably adorable like chateau or some shit probably also mini mansion yeah, yeah. <laughs> um okay here's a quote from her about san francisco san francisco is a great city to raise children but i was very happy to leave it there's no style nobody dresses up you can't be chic here it's all shorts and hiking boots and tevas it's as if everyone is dressed to go on a camping trip <laughs> so portland Ugh, um yeah, yeah. well so, good for her she grew up in france right so i mean like, yeah yes yeah. yeah, she like splits her time anyway that's most of what I, I just have some other stuff about i think i've already talked about her like intense worth ethic she I like mean, often no has kidding. five or six books at a time and she has she says that when she like really gets into a book she works for 22 to 24 hours at a time oh my god and like she says that she works until she's so tired she could sleep on the floor well, yeah. Um, and she also has said that she would rather write through books or through blocks so that it's better to have like 30 shitty pages you can like edit and fix yeah. than to have nothing. I'm like, I kind of dig that, that. But like also, yeah, I don't dig working 22 to 24 That's hours insane. A day. I mean, it's yeah. not healthy. But anyway, it's I, wild. She is fascinating and yeah. kind of horrifying. And I, I don't know. I kind of have a feeling that, like, all of her books are going to have this sort of, like, out-of-touch feeling. Mm-hmm. So I probably won't pick up another one. But I'm so tempted because it was so readable. Like, I get yeah, why she's she a good has writer. so many books and why she's made so much fucking money. I get well, it. Well, it might actually be easier to pick up an older book of hers and be like, well, this is the product of yeah. its time. And who she, yeah. you know, like, she clearly is, um, yeah. you know was ahead of her time in many ways mm-hmm. so maybe it would be but, more palatable yeah. but that's fat she's anyway. fascinating yeah i didn't so. really know anything about her no yeah anyway wow all right yeah. good job all right <laughs> let's take a break sounds good all right we're back all right. Oh, and you have a quick correction. Yeah, well, I'm not sure because now I don't remember what I said. But I might have said 9 million copies that she sold, and it's 900 million. It's just a small difference. <laughs> numbers are hard. Um, right. Yes, she is very prolific. Very prolific. Okay. Well, um, so this week I was supposed to read, and I did read, It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. 
Um, and it's funny because I remember saying at the end of last week's episode, like, I'm not done being hurt yet. I'm going to read this book. And I was <laughs> like, oh, God. Just, I've read a lot of, like, dark books in a row. Um, so I'm going to talk very briefly about this book. But this, I decided to read another book for the podcast this week because I ultimately don't think that it ends with us is a romance. Oh, okay. Um, and so I'd been wanting to dive into Colleen Hoover for a while. I know she's, like, very popular right now. She's, like, actually the number one most followed author on Goodreads. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I've got friends who enjoy her stuff, um, and I was, like, ready to, you know, read another emotionally draining <laughs> read because that's right. the zone I was in after last year or um, last week. Um, but... So I just picked this one, This It Ends With Us, because it was her top-rated mm. book on Goodreads. So I was like, all right, that seems like a good place to start. Um, and I try not to ever read any like reviews that contain any spoilers, or really any reviews mm-hmm. of a book before I read it, because um, I like to go in without a lot of knowledge. Um, and the back of book just sounds like uh, a very normal, like, main character moves to a big city and starts a new romance, but is it really for her, like, misses her old town boyfriend, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, just from that, I knew I wasn't going to like the, like, big city boyfriend, because that's not my jam at all. Right. Um, Riley, I think, yeah. I definitely read it as Ryle in my head the whole time, <laughs> like, Kyle with an R, and then at the end of the book, I was like, oh, it's Riley. <laughs> Because it's spelled R Y L E. Anyway, but I, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm surprised this one is labeled as romance. And I actually like went back and checked on Goodreads, and romance is like the top tagged genre for this book, and it actually won the Goodreads Choice Award for best romance in 2016. Oh. So like everyone says it's a romance. <laughs> Um, and I, but I think part of that is just that like Colleen Hoover's books get shelved as romance. Like she's a romance author, therefore her books are romance. Um, but this is not that, um, the central relationships are romantic and it has a kind of happy ending. However, calling it a romance definitely does not convey the experience you will have Mm -hmm. while reading it. Um, and it really isn't what the book is is about I mean like the romance is happening but it's not about the romance um and I don't want to give it all away but the the name really says it all this book is about breaking cycles of abuse Mm -hmm. um and I think it's deeply humanizing and it's a very important work and I think if you're comfortable tackling this subject you should read it it's a great book um but honestly it just like didn't feel right to talk about it on the podcast and cast the roles and like subject it to our rating system because that's not what the book was about so okay anyway that's all I will say about that okay so I pivoted and read a book that I had started but not finished um that I just loved um so i read seven days in june by tia williams oh so this was a big one i think it came out like two years ago now um but it's been really popular um so oh let me read the back of book Mm Brooklynite Eva Mercy is a single mom and best-selling erotica writer who is feeling pressured from all sides. Shane Hall is a reclusive, enigmatic, award-winning literary author who, to everyone's surprise, shows up in New York. When Shane and Eva meet unexpectedly at a literary event, sparks fly, raising not only their past buried traumas, but the eyebrows of New York's black literati. 
What no one knows is that 20 years earlier, teenage Eva and Shane spent one crazy, torrid week madly in love. They may be pretending that everything is fine now, but they can't deny their chemistry or the fact that they've been secretly writing to each other in their books ever since. Over the next seven days, in the middle of a steamy Brooklyn summer, Eva and Shane reconnect, but Eva's not sure she can trust the man who broke her heart, and she needs to get him out of New York so that her life can return to normal. But before Shane disappears again, there are a few questions she needs answered. With its keen observations of black life and the condition of modern motherhood, as well as the consequences of motherlessness, Seven Days in June is by turns humorous, warm, and deeply sensual. Wow. It was so good. Mm. So good. And it's funny because it it didn't hit, like, any of my normal favorite spots in romance. Mm. Um, Okay, so the cast. I have um, Tayona Paris as Eva Mercy. So she's in Dear White People. She's also was in WandaVision. Um, And then I have Jay Ellis as Shane Hall. He plays Issa Rae's boyfriend in Insecure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has, like, the most kind eyes. Mm. Anyway. And he also is kind of a mess, which is appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So main tropes. Um, Second chance at love. Insta love. So it definitely was like their experience when they were teenagers was like instant intensity, which is also true for their second chance time. Um, <clears throat> overall thoughts, what I liked. Um, I just love Eva so much. So I love a romance that focuses on a woman in a more secure place in her life. So like they're in their 30s. Um, and don't get me wrong, I like love exciting new love and new adult romance. That's very fun. Um, but there's just something about like a full-grown woman with a successful career and like reasonably stable finances, an amazing relationship with her preteen daughter um, that felt like so real and like mm. nice. <clears throat> and Eva has the best and like most dry sense of humor. I just loved reading her inner life. Um, and she's just like a beautifully written character. She's complex. Her inner life is like very acerbic and blunt and she's just funny. Um, but she also has like a very warm and relaxed exterior. She's very kind to the people in her life. Um, she deals with chronic pain, which is perfectly and like very excruciatingly written. Um, and it's very overwhelming for her, like, all the time, which must be hard <clears throat> as a single mom, like, not having someone to be, like, your helper and caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has, like, all these amazing systems for, like, her coping me- mechanisms and pain management and everything. Like, she's so – she's, like, figured out how to do this whole life, like, by herself. Um And lately I have been, like, very over using the word strong for women because Mm -hmm. I think it just, like, feels like another way to kind of dismiss their pain without having to deal with it. Like, being like, oh, you're so strong, rather than, like, gosh, you seem like you could use some support. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But Eva gets to be both strong and tender, like, capable on her own and reliant on people who care for her, which is nice. Yeah. You don't always get to read stuff like that so um and I love like good flashbacks in Mm. books you know that like flesh out the story I mean definitely there was that but um I'm generally not a fan of like insta love I Mm -hmm. 
just the idea of it seems really toxic to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, if you're like instantly falling in love with someone in real life, I'm like, there's probably some red flags yeah. there for, yeah. Um, but this one did feel earned. Um, so Eva, whose um, given name is Genevieve, and Shane had like an instant, instant and kind of dangerous connection at, as young teenagers. We're talking like between 13 and 16 like it wasn't like they were 18 yeah um and they were like both deeply troubled kids um he was in the foster care system and she was being raised by a single mom who was like basically walking the line of sex work more Mm -hmm. like professional girlfriend Mm -hmm. kind of thing um which like when her mom was young and beautiful was very glamorous and they went Mm -hmm. to like paris and all over the world and stayed you know lived in fancy apartments Mm -hmm. and then it just got like seedier and seedier as her mom got older um and it was yeah it was hard to read and her mom was not like there Mm -hmm. in a real way for her um, but so they had this, like, shared trauma um, that I think, like, forges that instant connection. But then they also, like, have a shared love of writing and reading. So it's, mm-hmm. like, to meet someone who's, like, going through something similar to you and then also has, like, the same passions as you, I get it, well, you know? I, I also feel like at that age, instant love is way more believable. Totally. Because that's your feelings are just they come in hot and heavy and, yeah they you know, do so and like I, what's a red flag when you're 13 right? 14 years you old know you know yeah <laughs> yeah totally um so like for me it, it made it made sense their insta love made sense um and so but that said you know it was one insane week and like they are a couple of very damaged kids and he is already an alcoholic Mm -hmm. at this age um and selling drugs and so the week is just like they all they're doing is like forming a like tentative physical relationship because they are young um but like they're getting drunk and getting high and she's self-harming because she's dealing with pain Mm -hmm. it's like unbearable and not well managed um and you know it's just it's it's hard to read but it's very well written. Okay. Um, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and it nearly kills Eva because mm-hmm. of, like, you know, she's not in great health. And um, exactly what happens after that one week of passion as teenagers is not clear through most mm-hmm. of the book. So I don't want to give any of it away. But basically, they, like, fail to stay connected, mm-hmm. um, but never forget each other and their very deep <coughs> connection. Um, and then they both are able to, like, build safe lives for themselves and both become very successful authors so like the the modern day part of the book is actually like very light and fluffy Mm -hmm. even though they have this like shared trauma in their past um and she so he wrote like a great american novel Mm -hmm. which the main character was like totally actually her um (laughs) and then she wrote a 14-book-long romance seri- series about a witch and a vampire who fall in love but are cursed so that every time they have sex, they get transported to opposite ends of the earth after. Oh, no! And then they have to, like, find each other again. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> I would read that. I know, I totally would read that. Um, and, yeah, the, her, like, male lead in the series, of course, is, like, totally based on him. And uh, it's, you know, she's, like... 
She's obviously so over it, you uh-huh. know, but um, it's like she's really successful. They're, it's been picked up to be adapted into a movie. Um, it's great. Uh, and so anyway, then they end up meeting again at like a writer's conference for, is it a com? It's like a... It's like a panel of black authors, like, mm. just talking or whatever. And he's not on the panel. She is. But he comes to the panel. Because he's, like, clearly, like, I got to see her again. Yeah. Got, you know, yeah. Um, but he's, like, famously reclusive and also very famous. So when he shows up to the panel, everybody's like, oh, it's Shane Hall. Like, he's oh, just standing in yeah. the background. And he, like, totally eats up all the air in the room. And, um Anyway, but, like, sparks fly. Like, he gets invited up on stage, and their banter is just, like, so good. Um, And they're just, like, right back where they started, except they aren't two damaged teenagers anymore. They're two stable adults who have built, like, beautiful lives. Um, And watching them dance around and, like, see if they can still fit their, like, new adult shapes together is so great. Mm. Um, And, I mean, just, like... Second chance love story where they're each a bit mad at each other, but both like definitely still head over heels in love, and they're both hit writers. The banter is just like, Mwah. it's perfect. <laughs> they're so good. Um, so anyway, the book has some tough moments. Their childhood trauma is well written, but totally heartbreaking. Um, but it just this book had like some of the best earned, mm. like sweet moments. Um, and I'm not really a big cheese person but it definitely it got me and like (laughs) Shane is such an empath he talks about when he was little he would feel so bad for snakes and he's like it's so unfair that they have to like slither around and work so hard when all the rest of us have arms and legs (laughs) it's so cute um and he had like a really great relationship with Audrey um Eva's daughter uh which she was like a big scene stealer in the book too um and they were like both really fascinated about how like one when there's twins in the womb one twin can absorb the other but then little parts of the twin can be like left in the living twins body like toes and like fingernails and shit <laughs> anyway um <laughs> but their connection was cute the What's whole thing deep was just dive about? <laughs> <laughs> is it about that I, now i wish that it were i did google it a little bit because i was trying there's like a word for it actually like when like just a little piece of the oh. twin is left in your body um, which is different than like when you know kids are born with like a whole extra set of limbs left right. over from a twin. But um, anyway, so ratings, readability, four point five. I mean, this mm. is a beautifully written book. Um, hotness, I give it three and a half. It is the scenes that are there are really well done and very hot. There just isn't a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Romance, five. I just love them together. Yeah, yeah. It was so great. So overall, 4.5. Oh, boy. It's a good Tie one. There. Yeah. Um, vibe check. Yeah, I mean, there's some shit in this book. It's like in the – their relationship, like, it is healthy, and they're very respectful of each other and their boundaries. Um, but there's definitely some, like, content warnings for childhood abandonment, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse. Um it is an all-black cast, and it is definitely, like, this is a book that, like, celebrates black life, and mm-hmm. it's really, it's wonderfully done. Um, okay, so favorite line. I actually chose, I knew I was going to love this book right from the beginning, so the line I chose is literally the opening line of the prologue, oh. and it just made me fall in love with Eva. So here we go. In the year of our Lord, 2019, 
32-year-old Eva Mercy nearly choked to death on a piece of gum. She'd been attempting to masturbate when the gum lodged in her throat, cutting off her air supply. As she slowly blacked out, she kept imagining her daughter, Audrey. Audrey, finding her flailing about in Christmas jammies while clutching a tube of strawberry lube and a dildo called the quarterback, which vibrated at a much higher frequency than advertised. Gum choking frequency. The obituary headline would read, Death by Dildo. Hell of a legacy to leave her orphaned 12-year-old. Oh. Eva didn't die, though. <laughs> so good. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> okay. So for my deep dive, I did a very brief history of vampire romance. Ooh. <laughs> um, it's better than the twin absorbing I thing. Mean, that would be very fascinating. And, like, science and body-based deep dives are always my favorite. But, um, okay. So, my sources are a live science article called Vampires, Fact, Fiction, and Folklore by Benjamin Radford, um, a Bustle article called How the Vampire Became Literature's Sexiest Monster by Charlotte Allen, um, and a Guardian sort of listicle called The Top Ten Vampire Books by Lauren Owen. Mm. So I had a great time reading about how Eva was managing her, like, sort of accidental status as, like, the best vampire romance writer around. Um, And she basically writes this, like, vampire witch romance, like I said, when she's just 19. And it's, like, a breakout hit. Mm. So then she just kind of gets, like, stuck writing sequel after sequel, (laughs) you know, based on this book that she sort of wrote as, like, an outlet when she was, like, a teenager. Um, and now she's in her 30s and, like, way beyond over it. But it's, like, her livelihood now. She's got a preteen to support and, like, millions of rabid fans. So she's just still cranking them out. Um, and it definitely got me reminiscing about my own experience with vampire literature. (laughs) Um, which, obviously, I had. So, of course, I read Twilight. Um, but I also was, like, a, we were, like, a, little bit old for Twilight. Like, a little bit, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely, like, read them and, like, enjoyed them. But, like, by the time the movies uh, came yeah. out, I was like, we were... Wait, yeah, 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 yeah. And I also remember being like, wow, the, the fans of this are a bit much. Intense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. And whereas, like, we were sort of enjoying it as, like, a like a joke, you know? Um, yeah. Especially the movies. Oh, yeah. And so we weren't a part of that, like, like younger millennial, Mm-mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I read the books, um, but yeah, by the time the movies came out, I was definitely seeing them as a joke, but the True Blood series was really Mm -hmm. the one that hooked me. Yeah. So the Sookie Stackhouse books. Um, Oh my God. I mean, they're hilarious. And so, I mean, there's so many hot characters in them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and they're way more adult, obviously, than Twilight. Um, they are explicit romance. I want to know who your favorite character is. <laughs> like Eric, male character. obviously. Eric. Okay. Who's yours? I don't want to say it. Say it. <laughs> say it. Of course it is. I knew that's what you were going to say. Um, I mean, that actor <laughs> who played him in the show. Oh, it's Joe... Mangianello. Mangianello. Oh, Mangianello. Like yeah. <laughs> that's what I always want to say. You're just wrong. Um, yes. Yeah. Love his whole deal um but no eric is definitely that's very love a viking right um he's described in the books like even better like i like alexander skarsgård i'm like not that into oh yeah so i 
I like him. I mean, I just, I love Eric so much, and that's who he is to me. Um, it, he's, it's a little harder for me now after Big Little Lies. Oh, that, I, yeah. He's like so, <laughs> he was so good in that. Yeah. Uh, oh, and so creepy. So good yeah. and creepy, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. So it, it's explicit. The themes are darker, obviously, than Twilight. Um, but that, I didn't really realize it at the time, but that was definitely my first foray into romance. Like, I was just mm. like, this is just a book I like or a series that I like. I didn't think about it as like, I'm reading romance. Yeah. But I mean, that's what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so that's like looking back now, that is definitely my first experience with romance Interesting. literature. Interesting, yeah. Um, and <clears throat> we loved the show too. Yeah. Brian and I the watched it. The show so good. It was real, especially the first couple of seasons. Oh my God, that intro song. I can still it, hear it, it in right. my head. It's so it's good. It's so good. HBO really it's does so, know how to do like, right. a good A good intro, intro. yeah. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, there is like this huge resurgence of vampire media at the turn of this century. Mm-hmm. It really like dominated everything for a long time. Um, and it's a bit tired now. People aren't really doing it anymore. There is, they're doing the show of A Discovery of Witches right now. Have you watched that? Uh, no. Yeah. Did you read the books? No. You should I've read them. I've not heard of this. Um, a Discovery of Witches. It's like, the it's a main character who is a woman who figures out that she's a witch. And it turns, it's like a you it's genetic and oh. so she has to like discover all this about herself and then she meets this guy who's a vampire and okay. anyway the show the male lead the vampire is matthew good oh susan nabby right yes. yes and many other things yeah he's love him so i haven't gotten around to watching it yet but i did read the is books that, when they came HBO? out uh no it's like a one of the weird channels like sundance or something oh. which is why i haven't watched it yet stars yeah, Not no, stars. I definitely have stars because oh. of Outlander. <laughs> right. um, naturally. But anyway, um, so, but other than that, I think there's not a lot of, like, vampire stuff happening anymore. Anymore, Because I yeah. think everybody just got kind of sick of it. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I... Did you read... I feel like I know you did because I think you might have recommended it to me. Bite Me? Why yes. can't I think of that author? Yes. Um, Christopher Moore. Yeah. Yeah. It's like comedy vampire. They are. Well, yeah. so, so and I, I think there's like definitely Moore. some yeah. problematic things in it because it's very like feminist in that 2000s way. Yep. But it, it he's hilarious. He's and those so books funny. are so funny. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Sorry. Really I had to fill the no, silence okay. while you were turning Sorry. your page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway. But I'm sure it's only a matter of time till like it all comes, of it comes, something comes back. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like another generation is going to get excited about it. So, anyway, for the history, okay. um, I'm sure many people know there are many cultures from all around the world that have like some kind of vampire esque monster in their mythology. This is definitely not like a recent invention. Um, there are Asian vampires, such as the Chinese, um, Chongxi, evil spirits that attack people and drain them of their life energy rather than blood. Um, there are blood drinking deities that appear in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, and actually the original European idea of like a blood sucking vampire came from their lack of understanding around body decomposition. Um, oh. so this is kind of gross, so skip ahead if you don't like, if you're like, squeamish. medical gore, yeah, but, um, you know, when a body is decomposing, intestines release gas as they decompose, yeah. which can cause bloating, uh-huh. and also creates pressure, like, in the stomach cavity mm-hmm. and esophagus, which can force blood into the mouth. 
So, like, around, like, two months, a dead body can look very much like it has gorged itself on blood because it'll have, like, blood in its mouth and it'll be all, you know, swollen. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, and vampires, or, like, revenants, as they were often called in Europe, um, were also kind of, like, just a scapegoat for any bad Mm -hmm. thing that, like, happened to a community, like bad weather or sickness or failed crops or whatever. Um... But for today, we're going to focus on what most of us think of now as, like, the main vampire lore, the, like, suave, ageless, and immortal Eastern European vampire. Um, what, Count Dracula? <laughs> we'll get there. Oh! <laughs> um, but, so, I just love how Charlotte Allen, the um, author of the Bustle article I mentioned, put it in her article. Quote, as with all sexy literature movements, Lord Byron is to blame. <laughs> Um, which side tangent, I Googled, I don't know why, I just was like, when I read that, I was like, oh, Lord Byron was such a fuck boy. And so I was like, I wonder if anyone else has thought that. So I Googled Lord Byron fuck boy. Anyway, it turns out. How many Reddit posts did you find? (laughs) Well, what I found first is there is a podcast called Literary Fuck Boys, which I am Very excited to dive into is that. It's hosted by women. Please it tell is, me. Yes. Oh my god. The, there's one main host who I believe her name is Emily something. I should have written it down. Um, and then she has guests on to like discuss whatever the book is of the day who are okay. like experts on that book. So usually the literary fuckboys are fictional characters. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, they've done Lord Byron. So like they do do some like That's authors amazing. and yeah. I know, I'm so that excited. So good. Yes, it does. Um So, anyway, 78 years before Bram Stoker's Dracula, there was John William Polidori's The Vampire. Mm. Um, Polidori was actually Lord Byron's physician, and he, it's believed that his depiction of The Vampire is based on Lord Byron, who most likely actually wrote the seed of the idea when they were together on what I call a goth field trip um, Mm. a few years earlier with Mary Shelley. This is Mm -hmm. actually like a famous, like, I think I've heard this story before. Like, went on vacation together, and then the weather was, like, horrible, and they couldn't leave their rooms for the entire time, which is when Mary Shelley came up with the idea. Yeah, I think that's where I've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so Polidori's vampire was what we all think of now when we think of vampires. Dark, brutal handsome, kind of mean, but like in a hot way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, most importantly, seduced women to their deaths and drained their bodies of blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so from then on, we are like off to the races. The next big vampire story came out in 1836 um, with La Morte. Uh, oh, shit, I practiced this before, but now I forget. <laughs> it's French. Um, La Morte Amoruse, um, the, mm-hmm. dead woman, the dead woman in love. Um, by Theophile Gautier, which, love that for her. I love that, like, the second big vampire story was about a female vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, many of them, there are many stories about female vampires. Um, and this one was just a short story. And then from 1845 to 1847, there was a popular Penny Dreadful about a vampire named Varney, <laughs> which oh. was later published as a novel and is considered to be the first vampire novel published in the UK. Varney kind of seems to be like a bit of a goof, actually. He like, according to the Guardian article, he rarely kills his victims successfully and is often exposed as a vampire before he is able to actually like attack anyone. <laughs> so it's 
sounds like it's kind it's like of kind like, of campy. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's so British. Dude. I know, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> take this like brooding Eastern European and thing. make him like a bumbling. Yeah. Like, you know, I just can't get it right. Um, so Bram Stoker's Dracula didn't come along until eighteen. 18- 97 um and this is where we kind of get like the rest of the vampire lore like you know the capes and the mm-hmm. pointed collars and widow's peak and right. scantily clad young ladies busty women uh-huh. <laughs> um <clears throat> so there were many fascinating vampire stories that i came across in my research um, many of which i would love to read but i didn't have time to like write them all down um but like during that entire 19th century they were just churning out right um and it's a bit tough to pinpoint when in the 21st century the vampire craze began because it really was like Dracula owned the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Like that was the vampire, right? Um, but so I think to me it seemed like in the 90s when the movie Interview with a Vampire came out. Yes. I was waiting for you to say it. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was like, Fine. It. Yes, totally. Um, I think when the movie came out, which was based, the Anne Rice's book was um, published in 1976, mm-hmm. um, but it was when the movie came out that I think things really started to oh, kick yeah. off. So um, <clears throat> 1994, Interview with a Vampire comes out. 1997, Buffy airs. Yes. Blade, 1998. 2001, Dead Until Dark by Charlene Harris was first published. Um, Yep. 2005 saw the release of the first Twilight book. Mm -hmm. And by then we're like well and truly away. I mean. It was a little bit of a slow burn. It did. It took about a decade to like really take hold. I hadn't like seen those dates Mm -hmm. like. Like that in, like, succession until I yes. hadn't really, like, thought about it. That's super And, I mean, like, there were others. I think Underworld was, like, mm. in the early 2000s. Um, and there was, like, Van Helsing. There's, like, oh, a yeah. bunch of other stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I just had a recovered memory. Oh, really? Of going to see Van Helsing in the theater, like, with my very first boyfriend ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, it was, like, there were others. You know, these are just the biggest ones that I yeah. mentioned. But, and then it was, like, there was stuff that, like again we were like too old for like vampire diaries and yeah. like I literally I like googled like vampire shows 2010s and I was like there I can't I thought I was gonna get like a list of like 10 but there they, were like a hundred like oh, really? I just couldn't okay. there was yeah. way too much because there was like so it's much like oversaturated it was way oversaturated yeah. and a lot of it was like you know some of much of it was like darker like true blood and twilight and mm-hmm. vampire diaries but then there was also like lots of goofy shit like teen vampire shit and whatever that was like more lighthearted. so there's just way too much to get into yeah. um and so anyway that's kind of where i called it because mm-hmm. there's just so much i was like not sure how to quantify it all mm-hmm. um but yeah i just think it's it's fascinating how it like really blossomed for like 15 years and then it just like immediately died back off Man, that yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I actually have a question. If have yeah. you listened to an exactly right podcast called um, "Waiting for Impact"? No, I so I've okay. heard all heard about it, it yeah. but I have not listened well, to it. So it like, sounded not that I wasn't interested. I yeah, I I didn't I haven't finished it. I think I listened to like three or four. Yeah, um, but like one of the things they talk about is the like the fall of the monoculture. Oh, and like, interesting. And how it's just, it's just like we're we're never gonna have that like thing again. But it was also like new. Like for a long time, you know, like there was a little bit of like everybody was reading the same newspaper. But 
there was they were reading local newspapers yes. and everyone had their own and then it, not like, everything was so ubiquitous yeah you know so, yeah anyway i that's just like kind of like towards the end of what you're talking about there like 2010 yeah. that is like kind of like the end totally. of that era when like people could branch off and it's you true. were you were not you were getting exposed to things via an algorithm and you yes. were getting positive feedback. You were not necessarily seeing the things everyone I else really, was seeing. That's such a good so. point. I really think that the very end of that was Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones ending was like the final nail in the coffin for oh. the monoculture. Because I think that was like the last show that everyone experienced together at the same time. Um, and now there simply is nothing else that everyone Tiger is King. watching. <laughs> no, I never watched that. Thank you. <laughs> How did you escape? Um, what did you do no, during just, the first I two weeks? I don't of watch the reality quarantine. television. I yeah, it's too. I'm not judging it at all. I like wish I could enjoy it, but it's like too, I can't. Secondhand embarrassment's really hard for me. I can barely watch The Office. So reality <laughs> TV is just not for me. <laughs> I don't like reality TV either. This yeah. is not like. Typical reality TV. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, but yeah, it's like maybe there's like little blips where like everybody's talking about a thing for a little while, yeah. but it's not quite the same. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Because I've like mourned that a little bit because like Lost for me was like such a like cultural mm-hmm. thing, like experience. Yeah. And I missed that. And I missed that like waiting for what's going to come next and like yeah. everyone trying to figure it out together it's we talked about it a little bit around harry potter too which is like everyone waiting for the next book to come yeah, out together i mean you feel like you're a part of something yeah and yeah, yeah. i um, feel like there's there's a little bit of a void of that right for, now yeah and like i guess like for me like i have such like wide varied interests that like mm-hmm. sometimes it's like nice to have someone else like tell me what's good because yeah. like otherwise I'm like interested in like 12 different things and I can't decide and you know you know what I mean like yeah, well and there's just so much like exactly. you know like I'm looking at this like yeah. how many vampire shows there have been in the last decade and I'm like holy shit you could like literally watch nothing but vampire TV right. for the rest of your life and not finish it you, all you need someone to be like which one of these is good like, yes I only which have time one for one for me yes yeah <laughs> or well right <laughs> anyway that's not monoculture though monoculture right. that's you get true. what you get that's true and it um, appeals to the broadest audiences Right, and anyway. which is why it died because it doesn't actually and serve it is everyone. A good thing. Yes, yeah, but, but um, there is a little bit of missing that. Like yeah. so, anyway, um, all right. Well, what are you reading next week? Next week, so Jesus Christ, I need to read a book that is not so fucking dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next week, I am reading The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. A sapphic historical romance. So. That looks very good. I am into that cover. I know. I like, can't wait. Um, okay, next week, I am reading Flames of Chaos by Amelia Hutchins. Ooh. Have you heard of it? No, but it sounds fantasy-ish, it, is it? Yes. It is described as erotic fantasy. Hell yeah. That's my favorite <laughs> genre. <laughs> All right. See you next week. See you next week.